Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Forty days ago, the earth shook, tombs were broken open in Jerusalem, and one tomb in particular, the tomb of Jesus. The seal on the tomb that had been placed by the Roman soldiers who were set to guard there, that seal was broken, the stone was rolled away. Forty days ago, Jesus made his death-defying appearance. The crucified, died, and buried Jesus rose to life again. And as we read in God's word today, during those days after his resurrection, Jesus appeared multiple times to those who loved him, and, and at least at one time to more than 500 believers. And then we read that after 40 days, 40 days after his resurrection, Jesus led his disciples out from Jerusalem to Bethany. And there on the Mount of Olives on a a hill or ridgeline just east of the city of Jerusalem across the Kidron Valley, Jesus lifted up his hands and blessed them. And as he blessed them, he ascended into heaven. His disciples were left gazing there up into the sky, watching him going farther up until he was finally hidden from their sight. Those men and women who were present there watching Jesus ascend into heaven stood between the first coming of Jesus and his second coming at his return on the last day in judgment. They were people of the in-between time. And so are we. We are also men and women of the ascension. We know that Jesus has come and has gone back into heaven. And we know, as the angels declared to his disciples that day, we know that he will come again. To be the church of the ascension, people who believe in our crucified, risen, and ascended Lord and Savior, means that we are the church of fulfillment. Jesus didn't leave behind an incomplete church, He didn't leave behind a church full of half-true promises or half-true hopes. He didn't leave us with a church that has a roof and walls, but nothing on the inside. No, the Christian church is filled up with the abundant life and love of Jesus. And this is ours because Jesus completed the mission that he came to do. John the Baptist said this about Jesus at the start of Jesus' public ministry. He pointed his own disciples to go and follow Jesus, saying, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That is what Jesus came to do, to take away the sin of the world. We know what sin is. The pride and the stubbornness that smolders between a husband and wife and suddenly flames up and engulfs a marriage. Sin is the runaway chatter of a tongue that destroys reputations. Sin is the abuse that's hurled like a spear at a mother, father, brother, or sister. Sin is what promises to make us feel so good, but when it's all over, it makes us feel so bad. Sin is what makes us an offense in God's sight. Sin is what Jesus came to take away. 
And the only way he could do that, as he says to his disciples, is he fulfilled the scriptures. He told his disciples in verse 44 of our reading, These are my words, which I spoke to you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. So at his ascension, Jesus could look back over his earthly life and ministry and he could say, all is fulfilled. He finished his work. Nothing was left undone. I don't know about you, but I don't know anybody else who can say that. There are lots of people who have unfulfilled hopes and dreams in their lives. They would like another chance, probably, to, to complete what they have left undone. A young father would like another chance to, to go back to school and, and finish his degree. A son would like another chance to show his parents the love and respect that he had denied them in the rebellion of his youth. A grieving woman would like another chance to take back the words that were spoken in such haste. Would all like another chance to do things over again and to do them right. Jesus didn't need another chance. He did things right the first time. He fulfilled all the scriptures perfectly. From the promised offspring of Eve who would crush the serpent's head to the suffering servant about whom Isaiah prophesied. Jesus did it all. And that's why he could leave this world and ascend to his heavenly throne in, in glory and honor and majesty and reign over all things. Jesus made it clear to his disciples, as Luke writes in verses 45 and 46, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He said to them, this is what is written, and so it must be, the Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. By his life, his death, and his resurrection, Jesus completed God's plan to save sinners. He didn't leave us with half a sacrifice for sin. No, he gave a complete sacrifice for all sin. And that's why he could say, when he was hanging on the cross, just before he gave up his life, it is finished. He didn't say it's almost finished. No, in big, bold letters he wrote at the top of our sin debts statement, paid in full. There's nothing left for us to pay. As Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10 says, By this will we have been sanctified once and for all through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ. And so the church of the ascension trusts in this offering, this sacrifice of Jesus. We don't need to add, in fact, we, we can't add any finishing touches to the work of Jesus to, to make it better or more perfect or to, to, to put our own work and effort into it. There's no loose ends for us to tie together. We don't question and doubt the fact of our forgiveness. Jesus has fulfilled all. We simply reap the benefit through faith in him. We confess our sins and are cleansed and healed by his grace. Ascension leaves nothing unfulfilled, but it does leave us with a great responsibility. 
as Jesus explained the scriptures to his disciples, he said in verses 46 to 48 of our reading, This is what is written, and so it must be. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. What a responsibility. Jesus was leaving 11 men with a whole world to evangelize. He told them to start in Jerusalem, that their home base there, the capital city of the Jewish people. They were the witnesses. There were no backup evangelists. Nobody else was ready to step in and, and take over if they stepped out and shirked this responsibility. And what an awesome responsibility it was. What were the odds, do you think, that these 11 men would succeed in this mission? Pretty well close to zero, based on their own uh, individual abilities and, and efforts. But of course, Jesus has a way of changing the odds. Jesus said to his disciples in verse 49, Look, I am sending you what my Father promised. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. What kind of power was this that Jesus was talking about? Holy Spirit power. Pentecost power. Bold to preach power. Bold to witness power. Bold to live and die for Jesus if necessary Holy Spirit was the great equalizer. He made these men who were so relatively uneducated and, and simple, salt-of-the-earth kind of people, he made them equal to the task that Jesus gave them. If you recall from the events of, of Good Friday and Easter and the time in between and shortly after, his disciples simply weren't up to the task at first. After the death of Jesus, they lived as cowards, hiding behind locked doors. They lived in the fear that someone might see them and associate them as followers of Jesus. But those days were not many. Once they received the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon them, they, they stepped out into the open in, in the public places of Jerusalem, right in the heart of Jerusalem, in the courtyard of the temple. And then they went out into the surrounding regions in Judea and Samaria and finally to the ends of the earth. Once the Holy Spirit made them equal to their task, they simply couldn't keep quiet. We read about this in the, the first several chapters of the book of Acts. In chapter 4, verse 20, Peter and John say before that, that ruling council of the, the Jewish leaders, the same people who had arrested Jesus and led him to Pontius Pilate to be crucified, Peter and John boldly testified, we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. And later in chapter 4, it says they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. And in chapter 5, every day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. And today, the Church of the Ascension faces the same responsibility to witness. God is counting on us. He hasn't recruited a second-string lineup to take our place if we fail in carrying out this responsibility. Witnessing isn't like a sports team like, like baseball, where if the shortstop or any of the other players fails in, in carrying out their job, 
The manager can, can bench that player and bring in someone else to take over. That's not how God deals with us. If we don't witness to those around us in our lives, then maybe nobody else will. Knowing that puts a big burden on us. We may tremble at the size of that task. It may seem impossible, and it would be, if it were all left to our own wisdom and strength to carry out. But our Lord understands. He gives us the same Holy Spirit that made those first disciples equal to the task of witnessing. This is the Spirit who comes to us in baptism, who builds us up in our faith and makes our bodies his temple. The Spirit is working on us through God's Word and through the sacrament of the Lord's Supper to make us equal to the task of witnessing. To belong to the Church of the Ascension means that we accept our Lord's challenge to witness and that we rely on the Holy Spirit's power to get this job done. We don't duck and shirk from that responsibility. We don't look for ways out, for ways to avoid carrying out this task that Jesus gives to us. Rather, by staying close to God's word and the sacrament, we draw on the Spirit's power so that we can speak up about God's love through Jesus to those around us in our lives. We see that as Jesus was ascending into heaven, or before he ascended, he raised his hands and blessed his disciples. And then we read that they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Think about that. Who would expect these men to return with great joy? Their beloved Lord and Master was gone. Parting is supposed to make people sad. There are tears and grief and empty hearts when we have to say goodbye to a loved one, whether that's a loved one uh, going to a geographically faraway place or a loved one who has died and, and gone to heaven before us. Hadn't Jesus gone away to some distant place in the universe? Wouldn't he be light years away from his followers? Hadn't Jesus just abandoned his men so that he could occupy his throne at the right hand of God the Father? None of that is true. The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, He who descended, that is Jesus, the eternal Son of God, who came down to this earth as a true human being, is the same one who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. Jesus fills the whole universe. He is present everywhere. And so for him to be at the right hand of God the Father means that he has full use of all of his power, honor, glory, and majesty that is his by right as the eternal Son of God. The right hand of God the Father is wherever God is, and God the Father is everywhere, and so Jesus is everywhere. It's true that we can't see him right now or, or touch him, but we know from his promise, from his word, that he is here with us right now. Kind of like the sun, when, when the sun is hidden behind a lot of clouds, you know, that even though we can't see the, the bright light and the, the bursting energy of the sun, we know that that energy and light is still out there. We know that the sun is still as brilliant as it always is, but that we just temporarily 
can't see it. And Jesus says in Matthew chapter 28, Surely I am with you always to the end of the age. Amen. He wasn't just saying empty words to make us feel good. No, he was speaking the truth. Jesus is with us in a most personal way. In the same sacraments that give us the Holy Spirit's power, Jesus also gives us himself. The Apostle Paul reminds us in Romans chapter 6 that we were baptized into Christ Jesus. Through baptism, we share in Jesus' death and resurrection. And in the Lord's Supper, we receive him. We receive his body and blood. When Jesus says, I am with you always, he means it. He is with the people of Faith Church. He is present today to guide, lead, protect, and defend. We have not been abandoned by our ascended Lord. We've not been left alone to worry and to be afraid. Jesus is with us. We can rejoice that he is present everywhere to aid his people, wherever they might be. So where does this leave the Church of the Ascension? With unfulfilled promises? With confusion about our responsibility? With mourning for a departed Lord and Savior? No. Maybe the Church of the Ascension means that we are in the in-between times. We see that the well of God's salvation is full. We see a clear call from our Savior to witness the good news of his love and salvation. We see a Lord still guiding and leading his people. So let us rejoice in this privilege that we have to be a part of the church of the ascension.